message. <laughs> so it's years ago now, uh, but I shared in a sermon some years ago that one of my favorite games from dorm room living in college and in seminary was the game, Can I Get Ready in the Dark? Because I always woke up super early and my roommate did not. Now, the game works very simply, right? Uh, your, your attempt is to get all of the appropriate clothes, your own, uh, based solely off of memory and feel. Now, it, I continue to play that game today. It's much easier to, to tell what's, what's, what was Leah's and what's mine. Um, <laughs> but I've only played the Find the Stairs version once. Never doing that one again. It's very dangerous to play that version of the game. It's much easier just to turn on the light. It's a lot safer. Light dispels darkness and reveals the location, right? It, can, it reveals where the stairs are, where the clothes are. And I can traverse those stairs way safer, or I can, put my, I can find the keyhole a lot easier. My children sleep with night lights so that they know that it's not a monster, it's just a toy that they forgot to put away. Light exposes the true nature of a thing. And when scripture talks about light, it's usually in reference of revelation or exposure. Light dispels darkness. And so the enlightened heart is one that realizes the mercy and the holiness of our God. Light reveals the condition of our human hearts and our lives. Light exposes the deeds done in darkness. And within the pages of Scripture, light is almost always connected with God and His glory. So God speaks into the darkness, and there is light at the creation event. Or when Moses met with God, and, and he exited the tent, and his face radiated with brightness and with light from being in the presence of the divine. Or the Psalms remind us that though trouble may last for the night, in the midst of darkness, the joy and that mercy come in the morning. It comes when the light comes. And it all culminates. All of this language of God being the light culminates with Jesus Christ declaring in the book of John, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So because scripture often talks about God being the light, it kind of sounds odd when we have this text from Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus tells his followers, he tells you and me, you're the light of the world. And he goes on to instruct us to let your light shine before men. And so people have often argued and, and wondered, well, is Jesus the light or are we the light? And how are we to understand how all this works? And we get the answer from Christ himself later in the book of John when he says, believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. And the idea is this. Jesus is the true light of the world. He is the source and the producer of light, right? He's the author and the perfecter of faith. He is the winner and the supplier of grace. And we, through faith in Jesus, by believing in this light of the world, we've become children of God. We've become reflectors of light. So we're, we're derivatives of Christ, right? We, we find our, our power, we find our identity in him. 
And the typical example that we use is, is he's the sun which produces light and we're the moon which simply reflects it. But still, this derivative reflection is crucial in guiding people through the darkness. And in that sense, we are the light of the world. We're carrying on the mission and the ministry of Jesus. Or rather, he's carrying it on through us. Now this morning, we'll examine the text of Matthew 5, and we'll learn what it means to be a city on a hill or a lamp placed on its stand, and how we're to shine Christ's light before men to the glory of God. But as we begin to think about these two illustrations that Jesus gives us in verses 14 and 15, I want you to note something. That is that the city did not build itself. It was built by a master architect in that location for a purpose. And the lamp didn't light itself. It was lit by the master of the house for a purpose. Now, if we are that city built on a hill, if we are that lamp lit to shine God's light, then before we address how we shine it to others, we need to first focus on what that light has done and continues to do in us. And then, when we understand the light's function of both law and gospel, then we'll see how best to shine it for those around us. Now, like we said earlier, light dispels darkness, right? It reveals and exposes the true nature of a thing and its condition. But when that comes to the human heart, this exposure is painful. It's kind of like hearing a loud bang in the middle of your, at night, and you, you go down and you see that you heard it in the kitchen, so you go to the kitchen and you open up that pantry door and you turn on the light, and what you find is that a shelf has buckled under the weight of jars filled with sauce and syrup and baking supplies, and it's an incredible mess. Just so, you, just so everyone's aware, that is not actually my kitchen. <laughs> but it is an incredible mess. Right? Now, now, turning on the light has revealed an ugly truth. Now, obviously, the light didn't create the mess. It just exposed the reality of the mess for you. And that's what the light of Christ does to the human heart. His word exposes the reality of our sin. It reveals the ugly truth that we are like that shelf. We fail to uphold the law of God and we've buckled under the weight of temptation. It shows us that our hearts and our lives are covered with broken relationships and broken promises, with faulty motives and lofty pride. Now the light didn't make our sin a reality. God's word doesn't make, his, uh, doesn't make our sin a reality. It just exposes our sin for what it is. It reminds me of King David and his encounter with the prophet Nathan. Uh, in the Old Testament, they didn't really have, you know, they were still writing in the Old Testament. They didn't have all of the scriptures. And so God spoke through his prophets. And, he get, and God speaks through Nathan the prophet as, he, as Nathan tells this story to confront David with his sin against Bathsheba and Uriah. And after the story, he finishes with, you are the man, says Nathan, right? You're the guilty one. And now today, we have the pages of Scripture. And God speaks through Scripture. As we read the stories and as we read, read the accounts of foolish and, and selfish people in uh, the stories of Scripture, we hear God's Word tell us 
you are the man. You exhibit the same foolishness, the same selfishness, the same sinfulness. The light of God's word reveals an ugly truth about us. And that's why Jesus tells us in John chapter 3 that that light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And it goes on to say that everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. See, the light of Christ shining upon the human heart is a painful thing. And even though God didn't shine his light on us to overwhelm us with our sin or to drive us to despair, we often feel that way. And so when the light comes to us through the hearing of his word, through the working of his spirit, the desire in us is to flee, right? We, we run away. We do the same thing when we turn on the light in the pantry, right? We turn on that light in the pantry, we see the giant mess, and tell me if I'm wrong, there's a giant temptation to just turn that light off close the door, and walk away, right? And maybe we can just feign ignorance. Maybe we can wait until our spouse finds it. Maybe we can just sell the house as is and just walk away. But the problem is none of that fixes the mess. None of that changes the reality or the ugliness of that truth. And yet that's exactly what we want to have happen when we're faced with our sin. Right? What's our usual response when we encounter the reality and the consequences of our sin? And we're, we're overwhelmed by it. We want to turn off the light. We want to run away and pretend it's not real. We respond to the law of God with anger and with resentment. We come up with all kinds of clever arguments to justify that we're really okay. To justify our actions or maybe our lack thereof. And we convince ourselves that the darkness isn't that bad. Maybe it's it's the light's fault that there's a mess here. And so we're tempted to run back into the darkness and to pretend our sin isn't that bad. Because we're overwhelmed and we don't want to face the reality of our sin. We don't want to see the ugliness of the truth. It's too overwhelming. But God didn't shine his light on us to overwhelm us. It's not why he did it. Nor did he shine his light to drive us to work harder to please him. That, well, one typical response uh, to encountering the reality of our failures is just to cover it up and pretend like it didn't happen. Another is to work tirelessly to fix ourselves up. And on the surface, that looks like the right answer. Right? If we go back to the pantry shelf analogy, that's pretty much the best thing we can do is Get on your hands and knees and start cleaning. But that's where that analogy breaks down. Perhaps there's a better one. Perhaps the better one would be an ongoing sewage leak. And no, I don't have a picture of that. Where no amount of, of wiping or mopping stops the leak. It just spreads it around. And that's really the spiritual problem that we're faced with. No amount of working on ourselves or trying to clean ourselves up is going to actually address the real problem here because we need something more than what we can supply and to think otherwise is a refusal to see the severity of the situation to think that we can please god by just doing more by trying harder is just arrogantly spreading the mess around and thinking that we are cleaning it up 
You see, God didn't shine his light on us. He didn't give us his word to overwhelm us with our sin. And he didn't do it so that we can try harder to please him. He shines his light. He exposes the reality of our sin to reveal the mercy and the love of our Savior. He doesn't give his law to us and say, look at what you did. But rather, look at how much I love you. Look at how much I'm going to forgive you. I love you too much to leave you here. So you need to see it so you see my love for you. He doesn't show us our sin and say, you had better get to work. He shows it to us to say, look at the work I'm doing for you. Look at the grace I'm giving to you. And because of my love, I'm going to give up everything to clean this for you. And that's what he's done through the cross. Right? He removed the total sum of humanity's sin. Your sin, my sin, the sin of every other person, past, present, and future. He's removed it from us and has placed it all on his divine shoulders. And he carried it. And he suffered because of it. And he died to wash it away. And in his sacrifice, he has cleansed the mess of our sin. His blood has paid for it. His death has forgiven it. His resurrection has overcome it. And now, now the light of his grace and mercy shines out through the darkness. And that's why scripture tells us that Jesus called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And it goes on to say that once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. And once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The point is this, his, his light the light of his word, the light of his truth, the light of Christ is marvelous and not dreadful. It's merciful, not malicious. It's not given to drive us to despair or to drive us to work harder, but to drive us to our Savior. And the result of Christ's death and resurrection, the outcome of him calling us to faith and shining his mercy on us is that we have become light. Right? Scripture tells us in Ephesians, you were once darkness. You are now light in the Lord. We were nothing. But the Lord has built us into a city that shines his light and proclaims his name. We were darkened. But the Lord has lit us through the gift of faith. So we've received his grace. We've been built by his grace. And now we've been given the purpose of shining it. And all too often, here is where we start to hear law instead of just living in gospel. In Matthew 5, in the text, it does not say, you should be the light of the world. Not what it says. It says, you are. You are the light of the world. It's less of a command, and it's more just describing a reality. And see, embedded in these two illustrations that Jesus uses, he gives this great promise to us, his people. Right? He calls us a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And his church is that city that he has built. And it will shine his grace and his truth, even if the world would like to remain in darkness. And even as our individual lights ebb and flow in brightness, God's church has been established, and the gates of hell has not, shall not, cannot overcome it. His light will shine forth. 
keeps his promise. It cannot be hidden. Then he goes on and he calls attention to our individual lights. And he says, people do not light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. Jesus promises that his purpose for us is not to hide us, not to extinguish us, but to use us for his glory. You know, oftentimes in in talking to, to folks that are coming to the end of their life here on earth, they wonder, why am I still here? The thing is this, we might not see how. We might not see how he's going to use us to glorify his name, but he does. And we might not know to whom we're going to be shining this light, but he does. He has called us to faith for a good purpose. And he will use that light, the light that we reflect no matter how dim, for his glory. So as individuals and all the more as a united city of God, his light will shine forth. And this is how. Verse 16 says, Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Through our love for people, they will see the light of Christ. They'll see the love of Christ. And the purpose of of these good deeds has nothing to do with our standing before God, right? They don't benefit us in the least, but that doesn't mean that they're not important. Because they serve a world in need of help. They give glory to the Father. And when we do what we were made to do, we honor the one who made us. And of these good deeds, of all the different good deeds out there, the very best is the act of showing grace to those who are in need of it. So as Christians, our chief tasks are to confess our sin and to forgive the sin of others. And we can do that. We can live in transparency because God's power is made perfect in our weakness. And we can acknowledge and we can admit to our sin. We can be confident that God's love and his mercy is for us. And we can showcase the treasure of God's grace in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And so we shine his light. We shine his grace when we acknowledge our need for it and our need for him. And we shine his light when we forgive as we've been forgiven. In the Lord's Prayer, there is one action item for us. Right? Throughout the prayer, we ask God to do things for us and to do things for his glory. But there is one thing that we ask for the strength to do. Right? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. The greatest good deed is to shine the light of Christ by forgiving others. That is the truest definition of love. That is the deepest form of continuing the mission and the ministry of Jesus. So let us shine the light of God's grace. The grace that we received, and we do that by being transparent in our lives. And the grace that we can give by forgiving as we've been forgiven. So that all people will glorify our Father in heaven. And in that way, we'll be as Philippians 2 tells us, We will shine like stars in the universe as we're holding out a word of life. Let's pray. Lord God, you have called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. You've given us the gift of faith that our hope and our life all rest on the perfect death and resurrection of Jesus. Lord, in your light, 
you show us the severity of our sin. But we pray that we would not be driven to despair or to pride, but that we would see the redeeming love of our Savior. Help us to live in your grace and to shine this grace through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me continue our worship.